Hello and welcome to Tutorial Stories, LCF's object-based podcast in which we invite in someone who works in or with fashion and ask them to bring an item from their work or from their wardrobe and we use that as a basis for part of the conversation. Uh, today I'm joined by Maria Shenoweth, Trades CEO. Um, thank you very much for joining us Maria. Hi there. <laughs> and for having me in your office as well. been admiring your decoration already and your yeah. teapot and pictures all around. Um, so as I said that in this series we invite in someone who works in or with mm. fashion and I always find the best place to start is can you please explain your role and how it relates to the industry? Okay, so I am the CEO of the charity trade and um, I've worked here for 20 years. So it's my 20th year for trade and previous to that um, I worked for Oxfam for seven years. So for the last 27 years of my life um, I've been working um, with secondhand clothing, um, with international development, um, and the not-for-profit sector, which is a bit of a nutshell, really. Yeah, <laughs> but a good, good, strong nutshell to have. Um, so we'll go into more detail about trade and your mm. initiatives later and that 20-year anniversary as well. Um, but perhaps to start, could you kind of outline um, the focus of trade and its initiatives? On your website, you list um, three different kind of focuses around mm. the way you address waste in the fashion industry. Um, So our overall mission is a world where um, people and the planet aren't harmed by the way our clothing is made and disposed of. So um, we've got 11 charity shops, they're London centric and we sell just under 1 million items of secondhand clothing through our 11 stores on an annual basis. That's incredible. And this has like a huge impact on the environment because what we're doing is we're displacing the need for new clothing. So I like to see us the environmental alternative um, for people who want to shop or if you just want to wear second hand or you want a bargain or you want something expensive, you want something unique, you know, I just want to offer this alternative because I think it's a very exciting alternative second hand clothing. Um, And then in relation to the disposal of clothing, we have loads of outlets for people to not put their clothes into the rubbish. So the way um, we dispose of our clothing is really bad for the environment. Um, It releases CO2. Um, The clothing industry is the fourth most environmentally damaging industry. And that also includes the way we dispose of our clothing. So we've got um, a network of about 800 textile recycling banks. Um, where you can put your clothes into as opposed to the rubbish. Um, We've got a home collection service, which is a really nice luxury Mm. service. So you can book a slot and we'll we'll come along with um, our beautiful um, trade branded vans and drivers. (laughs) And um, we'll come and collect your clothes and say thank you and be very grateful. So then everything comes back to our warehouse in Wembley, it gets sorted and then to the shops and it's this circular motion of yeah, yeah. I really want to visit your um, your Wembley site, and I'm going to ask you some questions around that later. Mm. For the moment, let's maybe focus on your role because that's a huge range of activity mm. um, to be overseeing and stemming. Mm. And I love what you said there about thinking about the consumer as well mm. as the kind of social consciousness mm. and um, environmental consciousness of it. So, could you give me some examples of the activity your role as CEO entails? Because I think that's such a, a yeah. broad. I think the most important role for a charity CEO is we are the bridge between um, the senior management team and the board. So it's, you know, forming strategies, 
and you know legal legal obligations of ensuring that the charity is running as it should so I couldn't just go out and support fun donkeys you know we, we've got a criteria that we need to work within um, so that is you know the more serious aspect of my role um, and then you know, I do live and breathe my job, so I wear my job, I promote my job, and um, it's just it's just within everything I do. Um, again, the other important part of my role is my senior management team, and it's ensuring that they can they have everything they need to be able to do their jobs and are happy within the organisation, um, and it's. Um, leadership style as well I think for a CEO you know you really can impact and change the way an organization is structured its character you know um, yeah it, trade seems to have its own character and it has a huge fan base and people are really allowed to like bloom and you know whether it's the window design um, yeah people sort of develop themselves and find their own roles and I think that's what, you know, has created this very special organisation mm. and that comes from a leadership style, mm. whether it's I don't do that much or, you know, I'm not a micromanager, so I like to see people bloom. Mm. Brilliant phrase. Um, I love that idea of uh, kind of combining a work ethic and a directive style and, and business interest with mm. a social mm. cause. And you also said there that you wear your job, um, mm. which I think is very striking. This is mm. the first time we've met. You're very yeah. stylishly dressed. Thank you. Um, Everything is second so, hand yeah. and has a story. Yeah. Perfect. More on your stories a bit later. Um, so th your interest in clothing, as much as fashion, pre-exists your roles at Oxfam and then at trade. Did you always care about clothes and how you present yourself? Um, so um, my mother was a shopaholic, mm -hmm. so I was sort of forced to care about how I presented myself. And yeah, and so and then my father um, was really anti second hand. So my mother once bought me a second hand item of clothing when I was about five. And so I wasn't allowed to tell my father, and I did, and he just went nuts. So I've had this huge long history with second hand clothing from, you know, it being a statement or a stigma that you're too poor to buy new mm. um, to now here we are in like the 20th century and, you know, nearly 2020. And now secondhand clothing is a form of activism. Mm. Throughout my youth, it was a form of looking very different and dressing myself. And yeah, I stumbled, I've stumbled into secondhand clothing um, because where I lived, we didn't have any clothing shops. Okay. So it's the only way of like dressing yourself. Mm. And in the 80s, the 50s were in fashion. So I'd go to Jumble Sales in Clevedon, where I was, uh, where I grew up from you know the age of 14 and uh, yeah get like 1950s jackets and just it was just fabulous I yeah, loved it yeah absolutely glorious um, I want to talk more about treasure hunting mm. as well and um, I'm struck though by that contrast between your parents perspectives on mm. um, is and I can imagine your role today is still about converting people to being comfortable with second hand yeah. I speak to some contemporary designers mm. where they they're quite conscious of providing mm. their consumers with a vintage look in mm. commas I always 
loved wearing second hand mm. as well and that's always been something I've been really interested in and and always surprised by people who are squeamish mm. about that concept is that something that you still feel you come up against today yeah so I had lived my life in this wonderful bubble with all mm. like my wonderful stuff there's that 125 of them and we mm. all have the sh same ethos but then I sort of got some new groups of friends where I live and so I sort of call them the mothers of Muswell Hill. And uh, first, you know, I like they're now too embarrassed to tell me if they've bought something new. And I have converted people into buying secondhand. So, yeah, you can have this odd role like outside of your work life. It, it's it's never ending. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite, been quite interesting that these people were like really embarrassed and now like won't speak about consumption yeah. part of me. Oh, I love that. The yeah. idea of it being reversed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I definitely find that um, sometimes as a curator, people consider you a collector and mm. uh, people want to know good places to seek things yeah. out or to get kind of historical mm. perspective on something or try and find yeah. out something's worth. And I love the idea that you're acting as a consultant to this group mm. of converting it to secondhand use. Um, I, I, I'm all for and, and you know, really passionate about promoting the sustainability, sustainable element to secondhand clothing. But for me, it's also kind of a joy and a, a passion. Mm. And I love the thrill of the chase. And mm. what you just described there about hunting out those fifties looks, mm. I think, is um, is a really key example of that. Are you still able to go treasure hunting, or is it too close to? You know, is that a bit of a busman's holiday um, now compared to your work? I've got this wardrobe, and I've had it for like f at least fifteen years. So I don't rotate much um, and I do have to walk through this shop every day and so sometimes I might just find something um, but I've got this wonderful I've, I've got a wonderful vintage shop in Muswell Hill so I just might pop in there like once every six months um, in regards to clothing I just what I have I just love um, so yeah Additions are great, but I don't really need anything. Yeah, that's yeah, that's admirably uh, restrained, I think. But it yeah. also probably shows the level of effort and work that's gone into making that capsule wardrobe yeah. that you feel comfortable with in yeah. and that can express different kinds mm. of mood or, or need. Um, have, is that something that you really consciously developed, or did you just suddenly one day go, no, my work here is done. This is a, a set mm. wardrobe that I don't need to expand beyond. Um. Um, I'm trying. I'm sort of swapping pieces at the moment, so for to really, really high quality and really classic pieces. So that's what my eye is looking for at the moment. Um, so yeah, swapping like a lower grade item of clothing that may have just been very unique and original for something, yeah, a bit more quality based. Yeah, because I do keep stuff forever. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it stands the test of time. Yeah. So it sounds like putting a lot of thought into clothing, both professionally and personally. Mm. Perhaps now it'd be a good point to move on to your object choice because you've kindly yeah. brought something with you today to talk about. Well, this isn't of the highest quality, so, <laughs> but this well, dress yeah. is. Um, so what I like about it is got uh, just so many stories. So um, I needed something to wear at the first fashion show trailer I did, which was like 15 years ago. Mm. And Rodrigo, who's now our HR manager, um, was the shop manager at Brixton and he found me this dress. So this dress sort of looks 1950s, and but I'd, I'm not sure if it's 50s or not. Mm. Um, it's made somewhere, it's made in Finland, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And it's got these like peacock feather, sort of weird, abstract, arty. Yeah. But I've always worn this dress, funny enough, 
on special events. So um, I wore it to the first fashion show. Recently I just wore it when I was asked to do a piece at River Cottage Festival. Um, and so subconsciously, I don't know why I call this piece out when I've got something to do. And I wore it throughout all my pregnancies as well because it's wraparound. Yes, that's very clever. It's so, um, different points yeah. Way. And it sort of shines in the sun. Yeah. And it keeps, it doesn't overheat me. So it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's got to be practical. Yeah, that's the thing with clothing. I yeah. think it's something, yeah. It's and it blows over and if there's a breeze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Working with the weather. Um, yeah, I think that's a fantastic mm. choice. Um, I'm really interested in the idea of it being something that you reach for every, every yeah. time. I think I'm interested in the idea of clothing as armour or as kind of a, a code that we use yeah. in different environments. My mum always says, she knows when I'm up against it because I will dress my smartest and, mm. and have my brightest lipstick on and it's a kind of code that you yeah. hide yourself. See that isn't smart but so I don't know psychologically why I was picked that dress. Mm. Do you think, do you, the professional experiences you've had while wearing it, are they fond memories? Do you think it's that, it's, mm. it's kind of um, enjoyment by association or, or uh, success by association on past wares maybe? I don't know, yeah even yeah. Like the, as a judge for the Guardian um, Sustainable Ethical Awards, their first one, and I wore mm. that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So that is why I bought this dress today, not because it's my favourite, but for some reason it comes out on a special occasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. And you also mentioned there uh, that kind of pers both personal and professional link that mm. a member of your team um, mm. selected it for yeah. you and adjusted it for you, and that that kind yeah. of shows this. Uh, internal cyclical nature yeah. here but also maybe someone else made a choice for you that you might not have made for yourself and then yes. it's, it's built up from there and I do think the design is really striking so I'll take a cheeky snap before I leave if that's right but yeah okay. so this, I don't know if it's clean but yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 that's good I'll put it off you thank you so the um the peacock feathers kind of build up the skirt and I can imagine it moving really beautifully yeah. because of that wrap design and the swish I think that clothes aren't just about how they look they're about how you feel and mm. how they make adjust your deportment mm. and things so I think it could be a really really striking choice um, and I love the fact that in effect it allows you to practice what you preach because if you have a garment that you turn to time and time again mm. in those professional situations mm. um, yeah, yeah you're actually reusing your garments <laughs> whereas I think you know quite often the fashion press um, understandably because the model they're built on will push us towards needing a dress for every new occasion mm. whereas, yeah. okay yeah, yeah. So being anti-establishment yeah it? exactly unknown way <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting do you find that you um yeah how often have your clothes that you've um kind of leaned on in that way do they get associated with particular occasions did that make sense yeah like no totally word. totally yeah. get what you're saying i find myself wearing certain clothes to go meet certain people mm. and it's really subconscious yeah um and it's like, God, I'm putting this on again, I'm going to meet so-and-so. Well, I always wear this when I meet them, and I, I don't understand why. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot of, I don't know if you're just associating a psychology with your clothing, or if it's a truism. Mm. So also, the other day I noted I've got loads of pairs of culottes from my wardrobe, <laughs> eight pairs. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, then it's like, my father never let me wear culottes. Right. Which is the weirdest thing to like ban your child from wearing. Yeah, so again, yeah. is this like a form of rebellion? Definitely. In my wardrobe. So these are like 19, 
Oh, Seven yeah. foot skirt. Yeah, that's incredible. Marks and Spencer, St. Michael's. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So there's a sense of subversion <laughs> and rebellion, both yeah. in just the model of the second hand <laughs> and having your set wardrobe, but also in those individual mm. items that you're drawn to. Yeah, that's really, really curious. I get caught on particular kind of uh, garment types and I'll have a mm. phase. I think that's something, again, mm. as, as, as a kind of curator, I'll get obsessed with a particular period and things. Mm. Um, and then it's about hunting it out. But I like the idea of that being rebelling from something rather than describing yeah. to something. Um, so thank you very much for your object choice. Um, I think we should move now on to talking about trade perhaps in more detail. So we're meeting today in Pat to celebrate trade's 20th anniversary. Um, how are you celebrating? Um, we were we were looking well, we kept thinking what we're going to do what we're going to do and then we just we're so busy mm. so if you think there's like about only eight or nine senior managers that mm. run this huge organisation whereas usually I think any other organisation might have twenty or thirty people so our communications is just one person. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think that's why everything sort of grows organically and sort of bottom up. So we don't sit here thinking, oh, this is how we're going to have all our windows designed. It just so happened that we found a sales assistant. I was going to ask you yeah, about Francesca, that. Yeah, Francesca, who was just has this incredible talent. And it's like, there you go, then you can have that job. So, okay. whereas maybe other organisations would like, you know, have a marketing plan, yeah. you know, hire a million consultants. Yeah, we talent just blooms around us and yeah. you can do what you sort of like here. That's brilliant. So again, it's about it being organic, it relates mm. to your leadership style. Because mm. yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about your windows because I can always tell a trade shop that yeah. like 50 paces because yeah. the windows are so striking and my partner was like, you have to ask her how they come about. Mm. So that is something that gets coordinated across all of the stores? No, it's just one, just one person. Wow, <laughs> yeah. That's, that is amazing. Because um, I really enjoy how abstract they can be. They yeah. have the clothes in the window and we mm. push to kind of abstract or sculptural forms rather than it being about pushing product. Yeah, but, that. and that was a bit of a conundrum for mm. me to think, you know, what is the value of this these art pieces versus, you know, um, having a straight window, which is just sort of selling stuff. Um, but the amount of attention and press that Francesca, Francesca has got, uh, well, you know, he's ended up in Vogue, traders mm. end up in Vogue. And yeah, I think people sort of enjoy shopping with us, you know, in part just due to the windows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are potty yeah. and bonkers. <laughs> But I think they visually demonstrate that you're doing something very different. Um, and it's fascinating for me to hear that that mm. comes from a staff perspective rather than that being mm. something that you've deliberately mm. developed um, to communicate that alternative mm. message. Um, yeah, how intriguing. Mm. Um, is that something, it, well, you kind of touched on it there, but I'm assuming that you get customer feedback on it as well. That's not just an industry-facing element. Customers enjoy it and, and want to know. Yeah, so I could be anywhere and I go trade, where do you work? I work for trade. Mm. And then I go, oh my God, that's the place with the really amazing mad windows yeah. so it's yeah it's made the brand memorable yeah. to people do you ever um do you, have you ever have you noticed any trickle down effect on that on other um, secondhand retailers or on the charity shop sector more widely? Um, I think you are setting a particular standard mm. and engaging in the conversation in a particular way and um, 
be interested to know if, if that's kind of spread at all. You in know. relation to? Well, I mean, you, 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 you market your clothes and you present mm. your clothes in a very particular way. Mm. Um, I wonder if you've noticed any, say, vintage shops or charity mm. shops trying to do a similar thing, or has anyone ever asked you for advice? Um, well, there, you know, in the business world, there is a thing called creative swiping. Okay. <laughs> so, so a lot of our words, um, sentences, sentiments, visuals, colours have been creatively swiped. Mm -hmm. And um, I always wonder, I think, oh, you know, I wonder if they like paid a consultant to come in, you know, look around and think, oh, what can we right. do different? And then they might see trade and something, make a mixture. So I always wonder how things get stolen. Mm. And it's not stolen. So at first we used to be peeved. Yeah. But now we just have to take it as a compliment, really. Yeah, absolutely. Because I can imagine in terms of your visual identity and your brand identity, mm. which is really, really strong, that I can totally understand mm. being something that would peeve you. In terms of um, changing the conversation around secondhand mm. clothing and That's encouraging true. people to yeah. put that front and centre, mm. that must be something that is... Um, a thrill to see yeah. happening more widely, so a bit of a double bind. Um, so, we, yeah, we touched on Trade's 20th anniversary and, and the incredible way that your small team pull things together. Um, I was really struck when I was researching you and I've looked at Trade in the mm. past by the way that you mix kind of uh, international initiatives mm. and research campaigns mm. and working with makers and manufacturers mm. with really, really localised activity. Mm. Like when, before we were recording, we mentioned your repair cafe mm. workshops and things. Um, is that something, do you find those two levels of activity easy to combine or yeah but the retail and the repair and the that's three yeah, activities that's three activities yeah. that yeah. Um, literally cover the world and they, they cover, <laughs> and they look at reuse and recycling and mm. consumers and they look mm. at international trade production mm. welfare those mm. are interrelated but mm. completely different kind of scales I would assume they are um, the repair cafes they came about um because they were requested uh, from local authorities mm. and it was more public demand as well. Um, so when we opened our Dalston shop, I remember like going in once and this like repair workshop was going on and there was like all these beautiful people like men and everyone really like hard at work sewing and yeah, learning to repair. And aesthetically it just looked wonderful um, and everyone was like, really enjoying themselves. You know, it's not like the four of what we do because what is so much more important is like diverting from the waste stream, sorting the clothing and selling. So, you know, it's sort of, it's something that we have done. Um, Chanel, who you met in the other room, she facilitates the repair cafes now. And it's about using repair to spread a bigger environmental mm. message. So it's like a tool. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I wish I could repair better. <laughs> yeah, learning process. But I love that idea of that being community, or your kind of audience-led, mm. that people, that was something that the local community wanted and that yeah. Trade was able to offer. Uh, yeah, so perhaps you could give us a little bit more detail on the international projects mm. and the wider reach. We tend to fund, um, so we found projects that really, really work, and they are, we've got four um, children's centres in Bangladesh, and um, that is because uh, when a woman, when the mother goes to work, they actually have nowhere to leave their children, and um, children are just like, from the age of four, just being left, and it's dangerous, they can be kidnapped, um, trafficked, 
and so and also you know imagine going to work for all those hours and and just just the thought process that your child's just left on the street or, of course, yeah. so yeah um, children's centers um, so uh, yeah the mothers take them there in the morning and then go to work they're fed they're looked after they're educated um, and they have a safe comfortable environment mm. so we've been funding that for a very long time with child hope okay. um, the other project is spinning mills and um, bonded labor so um, there's a thing called Sumangali Titum, which is where um, a girl goes to a spinning mill and um, at the end of the three-year period will get a dowry to marry a husband. Um, and so there are these, these um, agents go out to like, the villages, they take the girls, put them in the spinning mills, and you know, most of them won't even get to the end of the three years because it's so traumatic. Um, you know, there was recently an article where uh, the girls in the spinning mills were being given drugs to stop their periods and period pain so that they wouldn't have to go to the toilet and could carry on working. So very, very harsh conditions. Um, and, and projects we've been funding for like 10 years is organic cotton. Um, and so we have funded two million to organic cotton. Um, I've just come back from India and that was relating to a project that we're funding um, of hybrid organic cotton seeds, which is really important because you can't grow cotton without the seeds, mm. organic cotton without the seeds. And because there's a huge monopoly, 95% um, of all seeds are probably Monsanto, um, on, non-organic genetically modified um, so yeah so what we want to do is stop this shortage of seeds so we've just funded a quarter of a million pounds it's a six-year project and by the end of the six years we wanted to supply 24,000 packets of these seeds and I've got some photographs which I'll show you and even more importantly about this project or more important about the project is um, we're trying to create the perfect organic cotton seed mm -hmm. so at the moment it's hybrid so when I was in the field then I saw you know how how the cotton is mated which sounds bonkers yeah uh, <laughs> so it's male and female plants mated um, parent seeds wow. and so everything is recorded by hand um, and so each seed then is created a hybrid of the seed that's gone before so that in eight years so with a hybrid seed it will only last a couple of seasons with an organic seed it will go on and on and on so within eight years we're hoping to have the perfect cotton seed that produces the perfect length of cotton so because the length of cotton and the quality of cotton and you know, it, this is a charity, and charities funding this work. And, you know, so all of a sudden there's lots of retailers and corporations that want organic cotton because they know how good it is for the environment. Um, so why is it trade? You know, this charity in London, you know, we fund all of the organic cotton grown in Ethiopia, and 83.5% of the organic cotton grown in Benin. And now, we're producing these seeds and looking for the best seed for the future. It's nonsensical. Yeah. Because, you know, if businesses were structured and the corporation was structured, you know, with um, 
the climate in mind and nature in mind, you know, it could have had the foresight to see that, you know, potential crisis would be looming and they could have started growing the organic cotton. Um, again, organic cotton is incredibly important because it's not a monocrop. So what we also saw being grown alongside the cotton is, um, well, we planted a guava tree when we were there. Um, and then it's also a rotation crop. So, you know, you, you, you have your cotton and then you can, you can do soya, you can do lots of things. And so then you're not reliant yes. on one crop, whereas with the genetically modified seed, um, it's one crop only, it depletes your soil. And the ecosystem is so sensitive. I think that's something that I also learned there. You know, if it rains at the wrong time, your cotton crop is ruined. And, you know, for indoor, which is uh, two, two hours from um, Delhi, it was slightly raining and it was quite unusual weather. So, you know, it should have been very hot. And some of the cotton was getting damaged. Mm. So you can't mess with nature. And we've been doing this for so long. And the predicament that we're in is beyond, I think, most people's comprehension. And we're all hiding our heads and really not facing up to the fact that we are potentially facing a catastrophe. Yeah. That was so fascinating to hear and to, and to have your kind of on the ground insights as well mm. of kind of witnessing that and working with those uh, researchers and farmers on the ground. I'm really struck by the kind of rousing way that you ended that um, point. Do you think that, are you more interested in converting the minds and kind of exposing the public to the truth around this issue? Or is it, as you said there, um, big business, the brands that should be taking responsibility and engaging with you further? You said they should have been doing the work. Um, is it now time for them to be the ones who, who take over or who work with you? Uh, it's just so sad. Um, the way business is structured, the, the way, it's like you can't change it. And there is change happening and it's too slow. Um, you know, there is all these, you know, we're going to have this cotton or, you know, manufacturing this way by this year. It's, it's too late. Mm. And so on a daily basis, weekly basis, I'm bombarded with information. So I might, be get, I might get sent uh, videos of, you know, people spraying pesticides on their mm. children. I can see this monster not stopping. It's like, how do you quickly change something that really enjoys the way it operates? You know, it enjoys more profit, it enjoys screwing people, it enjoys screwing the environment because someone is making those decisions and they are enjoying those decisions of profit over everything and it makes me really angry yeah. and sick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and rightly so. Do you get to express that anger to those people in question? Is it a conversation that no. they all engage in? Because yeah. you, you you sort of don't get to see them. So mm. they're like these invisible people. Um, and and I'm really sort of fascinated by this like psychology and so I do get to meet people that work for the corporations and you know what I have to really appreciate is there isn't that many good jobs out there yeah, okay. so people have to earn a living and so they work for the corporation um, because otherwise you know everybody would be on the dole wouldn't they or so you do see good people in the corporation um, and I have to appreciate that there isn't that many good jobs out there. Um, so 
it's nice that we can let people affiliate with trade um, and yeah, help people have a different realisation. Sort of yeah. lost my trail of thought. No, there. no, but it's about setting, yeah, exactly. It's acknowledging the system as it currently mm. stands, both socially mm. and kind of internally within mm. those businesses, but perhaps setting a different example, a different yeah. standard. Business needs to be smashed apart yeah. and rebuilt, and um, it needs legislating. I believe that businesses should never uh, be allowed to earn over X amount of profit mm. because this more, 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 that everything's eating itself, so, you know, you can, they're all eating one another out there, if you look yeah. at this high street, you know, pound, and so they used to buy in products, um, but now because they want all the profit, they're creating their own product, which is a copy of a product anyway, so where's it all going to end, you know, we don't have staff working at the tube stations, so who's going to be buying all this stuff? If, you know, if clothing in the future is going to be made by robots, mm. who's going to have the money? Self-drive cars, self-drive lorries. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating, you know, foresight. However, you know, I do know people that view the world, you know, through this climate crisis and they are running around um, trying to do as much as possible to educate and avert and create change. And it's very stressful for them. And, you know, when, when you start looking at the world through this climate crisis, it, it's shocking and it's, it's quite depressing, very depressing. And then you see clothing and you see everything on this high street and, and still they're like slashing the prices, slashing the profit to, to the workers. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I just think I would love to smash it all apart and rebuild all the structures. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's almost <laughs> a moment of, of hope and and, and uh, anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> you're closing your point on, and I was conscious there that you're kind of combining this really clear crisis point from your perspective and your expertise mm. and the wider climate crisis that has to be acknowledged um, with this you know, striking list you gave of all the different kinds of activity you're doing to try mm. and counteract or to make mm. social or environmental change within the industry. Um, perhaps to, to close this conversation, um, you know, we're here because it's your 20 year anniversary. If we were to have this conversation again in 20 years, oh, what do you hope trade will be addressing? Um, and where, where do you hope the industry will be at? Mm. All those big businesses have been uh, smashed or at least made to see uh, the trade way of doing things. I guess what you know when I started 20 years ago there was hardly any fashion um, textile related projects to fund um, I, I don't know if everything was just sort of imploding then and here we are today I think you know if in 20 years time um, I don't what would I like to see <laughs> I would like to see us um, raising funds um, for something other than the fashion industry because you know the industry itself it makes so much money that it shouldn't be reliant on charities to undo its own damage so I'd like to you know looking at funding something totally different you know or being creative what can we do with waste or you know but not mopping up the damage um, which has been created through greed and profit Brilliant. So build, building beyond the current boundaries, uh, encouraging or uh, 
pushing the industry to be responsible for itself mm. and then from that mindscape seeing what can come next yeah well that's fascinating i found this such an activating conversation thank you. and i'm really um grateful for your time and expertise so thank you very much for joining us and thank you all for listening mm.